Hello, everyone. Good evening and welcome to Cardinal Dash. So happy to be here with you this week. I'm Daniel martinez Crams, joined, as always, by King Jemison. And it really does feel like a special week because Stanford won a game. How great is that to say? How great is that to hear? Stanford performed admirably in the big game, the 123rd big game, and came away with the win. King, it feels like it's been so long since you've been able to celebrate a win, and it came in the big game. Now I want to get your favorite moments from that big game. Well, Daniel, it has been a long time since October 26, 2019 versus Arizona. And just everything in the program spiraled downhill after that win, where I remember back to that moment in 2019, not to get too sidetracked, but KJ Costello played well. The offense kind of finally came to life. And we're like, okay, Stanford could have a strong close to the season and make up for the nightmarish start. Not so fast. Not only do you drop your final four games of the season, one of those games is losing the Axe to Berkeley for the first time in nine years. The longest streak in big game history comes to an end. And so it felt so good to get that back. And I think you could see it on David Shaw's face. You never see him that emotional. You never see him jumping around and, and looking for somebody to hug Jim Valvano style. Um, it was an awesome moment there at the end of the game that I think we saw a different side of Shaw. And though he's reserved, he's stoic. Um, and I think he doesn't allow the misfortunes of his program to negatively affect his persona too much. I do think we saw how much um, this this difficult time has worn on Coach Shaw because he he hears what people say about his program and he sees the product on the field that has slipped so far. And so I think it felt incredibly good um, for him to be able to go in there, rip up that our act sign from Cal and, and shove it back in their face with a, a dramatic win. Um, and my favorite moment is hard to pick because there were too many. And I think the stereotyped one would be um, the the moment where, of course, Thomas Booker gets the block and we all realize this is this is happening. Stanford's going to win big game. Um, but I think that a real turning point in the game to me uh, came when Nico Remigio fumbled that punt. Stanford gets a short field touchdown. And what to that point had been a pretty lifeless performance from the Cardinal, suddenly, you know, the, there's a jolt of energy. And I think from that point, though, there were lots of ups and downs. I think it was Stanford's game to lose. That absolutely seems like a turning point to me. And I think you made a really good point earlier with how emotional Shaw got, how much this game means to Stanford, especially to Stanford alums like David Shaw, Tavita Pritchard, the offensive coordinator. It means a lot to them. So, I'm wearing this, you know, Hawaiian shirt for the men's basketball team, which is over in Asheville, uh, playing their hearts out. But Roy Williams had a great quote today talking about Jared Haas, the men's basketball coach. And if we're going on tangents, I'll stick with it. Uh, but he basically said, like, no one takes a loss harder than Jared Haas. And then that's the opposite of Shaw for most of his entire career as a head coach. But you know that big game loss really aided him last year. His first as a head coach, he said it felt awful. He said that Chase Garbers just outplayed them. So did Evan Weaver. And then finally, Stanford gets to have their opportunity for revenge. And they come through in a big way. And even in that stadium where there were no fans, it felt like there was a lot of life, especially in that second half, especially with that muffed punt, especially with the celebration after the game in front of that RX sign. And that's honestly uh, my favorite moment was just seeing the players. You could see at the end of the game, they're kind of waiting on the sideline. And then they sprint towards the tunnel where the axe was being kept. They get sanitized, they grab it, they take it back onto the field, they take some pictures with it, and then they go, hey, let's go over there, let's go to the RX line, like, let's celebrate with them. And then they take the pictures there. And it was just, 
it was so poetic to actually see that Cal coming out with uh, some blasphemy, some disrespect saying our act when we all know it's called the Stanford Axe for a reason. Um, and then Stanford gets to take that picture and it came after uh, a very difficult game that's been emblematic for a lot of Stanford's season, this past season and, and this most recent one where the offense struggles at times, defense looks like it's going to get eaten up but they are able to come through in some way. And it does seem like it could be a turning point for this program. I think at the very least, it provides a sign of life and some hope for what has been a dismal 2020 season. And frankly, Stanford's biggest opponent in 2020 might be Santa Clara County and might be the, the area that they live in. And of course, the biggest opponent to college football is COVID-19 and this pandemic. Um, but I think it's been worse for Stanford than most. Not Thankfully, in the numbers of cases in the program, Stanford has done a remarkable job of controlling COVID-19. I believe there hasn't been a, a true positive since um, July, um, if I read that correctly. And so they've done an incredible job of, of limiting the spread within the program. But the surrounding area has not been so kind to the Cardinal. They've had so many changes. Um, they haven't been able to practice nearly as much as other programs in the Pac-12. And so they were at a disadvantage, but so was Berkeley. And so I think these two teams, um, they, they certainly have to have some mutual respect for what each other have gone through just to get on the field in this game. And then to get on the field with two evenly matched teams and to see Stanford come out on top and take back that ax, I think it does prove that Stanford's not going anywhere. The Cardinal program is not dead. I don't think there's a flash in the pan, but I do think we're going to find out more um, next week. And I think the biggest difference between Cal and Stanford right now, I think they're both, I don't want to say bad teams, but not good teams. They're both below average Pac-12 squads, but Stanford plays disciplined football. They don't beat themselves. And in this game, Cal absolutely just took out the gun and blasted away at their own feet because it was just a series of mistake after mistake after mistake, particularly on special teams. And Stanford's excellence on special teams is just another credit to Pete Alomar. Many people shouting him out as the best special teams coordinator in the country. How can we argue with that? And also just to the program Shaw has built, if there's one thing you can say about him um, is that he is a steady, consistent performer that teaches the fundamentals and is going to have his team um, prepared to win in all three phases. Not always the most exciting way, but this time the excitement really did come out with those block kicks. Yeah, the excitement comes out in the fact that Stanford is finally able to win a game. Alomar, who had been at Berkeley before, Stanford facing all of those COVID challenges, as you've talked about. And I think it's been more recently than I think John Wilner is reporting that it was July. The Daily has it. It was sometime in September was the most recent. But still, they've done a remarkable job at keep, keeping cases low. And just to see it all on the field and like finally get put together. Shaw was talking after the game that, you know, they want to be a great team. And right now they're getting closer to good. They're not even not good yet, but they're getting closer. And that, that's where both of these programs are right now. That's what Stanford's living with, but it's able to finally get a feeling of a win. And I think that's a big part of what last week provided. Thomas Booker said it after the game, you know what, we put a win on tape. Like how important is that just to be able to say like, we can do it. We put it on tape so that you can review it. You can feel good going into the next week. And it's not like the challenge ends there, right? This win was the biggest win of the season for the Cardinal. It's the game that truly matters. But the rest of the season is going to be a severe challenge. They're going to be on the road the entire year. We'll talk about that. But it's going to be going up to Washington, who looked like a very good team, and Oregon State, who surprised a lot of people. So fun, 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 big game. But now a lot of challenges ahead.
the good news is you can face those challenges with an ounce of hope, which would not have been the case before. And I think both Washington and Oregon State are beatable. So a winning record in at least the five truly regular season games is not off the table for the Cardinal. I just think it doesn't truly matter what happens the rest of the season. I, I, you know, as fans of Stanford, we want to see them win every game possible. And I think, you know, getting an upset win over Washington or beating an Oregon State team that just beat Oregon would prove that Stanford can still compete with the top of the conference. Um, but at the very least, they can compete with the top of the Bay Area. And I think that, that that's really all you got to feel good about right now. Um, and particularly after we watched men's basketball get jobbed by uh, the officials in the Maui Invitational against North Carolina, all Stanford fans need something to feel good about. Um, and between Stanford's win over Alabama in basketball in the Maui Invitational yesterday and big game win on Saturday, this is the best I felt coming into a show since we started with Cardinal Dash. And so I think that is a great feeling. And I think all of Nerd Nation is in a similar position right now. And then add to that, women's basketball absolutely routing Cal Poly last week. Not entirely clear when they'll be able to play again just because of South Carolina, uh, South the county, Santa Clara County, pulling its stops. But yeah, hopefully we'll get to see them again soon. And then one more moment that I want to talk about from the big game was uh, Nathaniel Pete on like a third and 21 where he ran like ridiculously hard. On, it, was, it was a give up play, but he ran ridiculously hard, only picked up three yards, but tried to get to the outside. That was one moment that really stuck out to me. And I bring that up because I want to pose this to you. Who deserves more touches, right? Uh, Nathaniel Pete is about 8.1 yards per carry. Austin Jones is at 3.9, but Austin Jones is a lead back right now. King, going forward, who do you think should be taking the majority of the touches? Well, I was arguing before a big game when Nathaniel Pete's average was at that point over 10 yards per carry that you got to feed this man. You know, this this guy is a potential star at running back. You don't put up those kind of numbers um, by accident. And I think his 73-yard run against Oregon really proved that he has more burst than Austin Jones, that he, he can be faster to get to the outside and beat defenders down the sideline. Austin Jones' longest run of the season is 17 yards. But I understand why Austin Jones is the lead back. And right now, I think that he should remain the lead back. Look at how hard he ran to close out big game. I think if there is a, an MVP besides the special teams, it, it's Austin Jones. The way that he was able to just get better over the course of the game. Stanford was really struggling to run the ball in the first half, under two yards per carry. They still, without you know factoring in sacks, they were still at only 2.7 yards per carry, but sack adjusted, the numbers look a little better because in the second half, it felt like Stanford asserted its will on the ground. And that has a lot to do with the offensive line. And I think they proved to be the best unit up front uh, amongst all of uh, the four lines in this game. Um, but Austin Jones was a really tough runner. His two touchdowns, he had to work for him, particularly the second one that was the go-ahead ended up being the game-winning touchdown. I mean, he was breaking tackles all the way up the field in that drive, including on that touchdown run. And he's just a powerful runner. He does have burst, but that's not his strength. He's a guy that is going to take what the offensive line gives him. And I think he has the chance to, you know, make a three-yard gain out of nothing. And if he gets some good blocking, then I think he can burst for a first down. Um, he may not beat the entire defense down the field, but I think that is exactly the kind of runner that David Shaw likes to have. I mean, he's like a better version of Cam Scarlett and really in many ways, you know, harkens back to like a, a Toby Gerhardt type runner. And and that's a great feeling for him to have. And I think that's why they're going to stick with him in that lead role. Just right now, it's, he's getting about 3.6 times more touches than Pete. And I would like that to see that number closer to maybe two, two to one ratio, just because I love Pete's burst. I love 
what both of them can do. I think they're a great duo. Uh, Austin Jones is like you were saying, he's going to make you miss. He's a hard runner too, runs really personally. And you can see that last game where he's just dragging the entire Cal team into the end zone. He does have the five scores, but it, it seems to me that Austin Jones, if you can trust him so much around the goal line and you can, because he's such a sure handed back, he's not fumbling the ball at all. Even back in high school, he's so sure you can go to him around the goal line, but up, Earlier in the drive, I'd love to see more Nathaniel Pete, where right now it seems like Nathaniel Pete is just resting Austin Jones. I'd love to see him mixing in as a, as a change of pace. And I think part of that has to do with Austin Jones being a little bit more trusted in the passing game. Uh, we see last year, uh, they're about even in receptions, but this year it's, uh, Pete hasn't even caught a ball yet. So I think Jones is definitely in there more on passing downs so far this year, just because he's trusted more. But I think if Pete can develop that side of his game, he'll be on the field a lot more. Well, I was about to comment on that. I think they need to get Pete involved in the passing game. I mean, they know a lot more than we do. We're not seeing practice every day. Maybe he has a little bit of a case of the drops. But I would say that of all the running backs on Stanford's roster, Nathaniel Pete seems to be the most well-positioned to be a great receiver out of the backfield because of his shiftiness and his quickness in space. I mean, if you hit him with a swing pass and you get one blocker out in front, probably going to pick up a first down. I mean, that's easy access yards, as, as the football nerds like to say. And so I think that, that that could become a bigger part of Stanford's offense. And although I'm absolutely backing Austin Jones as the lead back, I agree with you that we need to see more of Nathaniel Pete because, you know, frankly, just, just the fact that he does have a yards per carry average of 8.1 through uh, three games of the season proves that they're not giving enough touches. He's not giving, uh, not getting the chance to, uh, be a down to down running back. And I'd like to see him maybe take an entire drive. Um, whereas that's usually been the duty of Austin Jones. And I think that also goes to, I mean, what kind of wide receivers do we want to see getting more touches? Because against Cal, Steve Vahoko was very quiet, but we saw Michael Wilson really assert himself as Stanford's possession wide receiver, the guy you can count on in any moment. And I think the, the comparison between Pete and Jones and on the other hand, Wilson and Fahoko, um is pretty apt because in both cases, Fahoko and Pete maybe have the, the higher upside um, with their speed, with their ability to make big plays. But when you can trust a guy like Jones, a guy like Michael Wilson um, to just make the right play and not make a mistake, uh, then I think that goes a long way to, you know, executing an offense that frankly wants to play pretty conservatively. I love that comparison. That, that was really well done, King. And we see it right Mike Wilson's the one catching the touchdown last game. Austin Jones gets two of his own. But, yeah, of the PFF-graded Pac-12 running backs, Austin Jones is near the bottom. He's behind Jefferson, Broussard, Felton, and Verdell. And I think those are the only ones who have enough touches on the year just because it's been so short on games. But he's around 65.4, which is solid, and I think he can get better. And I, it seems to me that he's not always given the plays to take advantage of because he seems like he could do a lot better than that. But Pete has to be a lot higher than that where he's getting graded right now, just because, like we've been saying, he has a little bit more upside. And I want to see him with the ball a little bit more just because he probably shouldn't be at 8.1 yards per carry, right? He should get the opportunity to lower that number a little bit, just getting a little bit more touches so that it evens out. But it's a good problem for Stanford to have and one they're really excited about, to have two really strong running backs that they can go to one, go to another, switch it up. And they're also really happy that the line is coming together. I think staying with PFF, Drew Dahlman was the fifth highest graded interior offensive lineman last week. He was 82, which is really impressive from their senior, their captain, 
They love Drew Dahlman, and he put together a really great game. We also saw some great stuff out of Miles Hinton last game, the freshman coming in for little spurts. So it's fun to see this running game really come together, and I think it's going to be crucial uh, this next week. Yeah, Drew Dahlman, I'm just going to shout him out as the best center in the Pac-12. He should be the first-team All-Pac-12 center when this season comes to a close. And um, to really see his evolution as a player over the course of his Stanford career is amazing and just goes to show that we've criticized the Stanford offensive line, but I think that they have started to get back to their winning ways. Um, and I think we've seen um, that David Shaw and um, Coach Carberry are starting to uh, get back to the old brand of Stanford football. And I think it took a while. I mean, Coach Carberry was a brand new offensive line coach replacing a guy who had been a legend um, in Stanford football from and Mike Bloomgren, who's now the head coach at Rice. You don't just replace that overnight. And I also think that, that Carberry had a lot to learn about the college game coming from the pros. And this year we've seen tremendous progression from that unit. And they are still recruiting well. Um, in the offensive line department. I think we're seeing them sign a lot of guys and, of course, sign top-class talent like Miles Hinton, who's now starting to see the field and provides great depth for Stanford at the tackle position. And you're also seeing guys like Foster Sorrell, who came in as one of the highest-rated Stanford prospects ever um, and, you know, had injuries and slow starts that kind of didn't make, made it look like he might not live up to that potential. But over the past couple of years, he's turned into a real anchor for the Stanford defensive line at that right tackle position. And when you just look at the young talent like Walter Rouse, like Branson Bragg, like Jay Cornybrook, um, I think you've got a lot of guys that you can count on for years to come. I trust that Stanford's offensive line is going to be able um, to block well for these stud sophomore running backs that we've been talking about so much. And, and Pete and Jones, it, it sticks out to me how similar they are like body type even. Pete, 5'10", 197. Jones, 5'10", 201. Just like how similar they are and how different they're used. I don't know. I'm just excited to see how they are used going forward. We did see even EJ Smith last week uh, for a few little passing plays. It, it's fun that Stanford is now trying to try new things where they're able to incorporate new aspects of their game. As you mentioned, uh, Coach Carberry, finally getting his stamp on the program, Ron Gold, the running back, they're all coming together and it's looking a lot better than where they were at earlier in the season. And it just, it gives you a little bit of a sense of confidence that Stanford is returning to a little bit of its previous ways that they're actually able to dictate some of the game. And we saw that was huge last year in that game against Washington, where Stanford and Scarlett had 151 rushing yards and that basically buried Washington. They had 40 minutes of possession compared to Washington's 20. That was basically the entire game. Stanford just kept Washington off the field. It was a Pac-12 after dark special, and Stanford was able to come away with that win. But now Stanford faces a lot more challenges in this upcoming game, King. As we were talking about, Stanford is going to be on the road. When I posed this question, it was just, oh, you know, the last five times these teams have played, the home team has won, but now it's a little bit more because Stanford is living out of its van. You know, it's hitchhiking. It's trying to find food on the side of the road because they've lost their home in Santa Clara County. So for the next two weeks, Stanford's going to be on the road, not just this week going to Seattle, but next week going to Corvallis. They're going to be staying in hotels, playing at high school fields. Who knows what they're actually going to be able to do? We haven't got that info yet. But King, is Stanford going to be able to win on the road this next week? 
this might be the toughest game on Stanford's schedule. And coming into the season, it looked very clearly like the Oregon game would be the hardest game. And, you know, got that out of the way, 21-point loss that felt a little closer. We were encouraged even by a 21-point loss. Well, the, the last few weeks for Oregon have proven that they're maybe not all that, that the fact that Stanford amassed 400 yards on the Ducks wasn't really a fluke. That's kind of what every opponent is doing to Oregon right now. Meanwhile, Washington is just taking care of business under Jimmy Lake. And I think that he has picked up right where he left off as a defensive coordinator. He's a secondary whisperer, and he's got the second-ranked pass defense in the country. Opponent adjusted, of course, because he's played Oregon State and Utah, um, two teams that don't really like to throw the ball. Arizona does, but they don't seem to be much good at anything right now. So this 3-0 start has really given me a lot of confidence that Jimmy Lake has uh, – Chris Peterson left the program in good hands with Jimmy Lake, and that this could be similar to a Lincoln-Riley situation in Oklahoma where you have the longtime legend coach retire, but keep it within the program so that you maintain a similar culture and you maintain a, a similar style of football, but just add some fresh ideas to that head coaching position and add a younger face to that head coaching position. Maybe you connect with recruits more. So shout out to those Washington guys. I think they're going to have a lot of fun over the next few years under Coach Lake. But to put simply, this is a hard game for Stanford to win. And I think if they're going to win it, they're going to have to do it in a similar manner as they did in big games. Few points on that. You got to run the ball well. That's where Washington is weak defensively. I just said they have the second-ranked pass defense in the country. If you test this defense, there's going to be interceptions. And Davis Mills has been great at avoiding turnovers. I believe he does not have uh, an interception to this point, and I think that could continue. Um, but this will be his toughest test yet by far. And Stanford's wide receivers are going to find it much harder um, to you know, get open against a secondary with guys like Elijah Molden. So you got to keep it on the ground, similar to Stanford did not did in the second half against Cal. And you got to avoid turnovers because you're going to have to uh, avoid giving Washington short fields and you want to get some short fields of your own because Washington, not necessarily a dominant offense. They want to run the ball as well. And so if you can keep them from getting a short field, you may be able to force um, them into some turnovers. Um, and I think, you know, I, the, the quarterback situation has been better for Washington in recent weeks. Um, and I think that, you know, they, they are, are uh, capable of throwing the ball when they want to, but Jimmy Lake would much rather keep it on the ground. And so if you hand him turnovers and hand him easy points, then you're going to be finding yourself in a hole that you probably can't climb out of against such an elite. And I think coming into the season, our kind of thoughts with this game would be that, there would be some newness with Jimmy Lake stepping in and Washington may struggle just because of its new head coach. Obviously that wasn't the case. He stepped in and really run the exact same system as you were talking about with a few new ideas. And if anything, they look like an improved team, but I think it is useful to go back to last year's game because these are programs that really haven't changed much and just how Stanford was able to win that game. Jacob Beeson, 15 of 35, he had one touchdown and an interception through for just 181 yards. If Stanford can do that again, similar performance where you just get in the quarterback's head and then Davis Mills was able to go 21 of 30, a touchdown, no interceptions. That's big for Stanford if they're able to get win that quarterback battle. And I think with Davis Mills, we've been saying he has that potential to be that kind of player. And then even when he came out last year, he got hurt in the fourth quarter and uh, Jack West stepped in, didn't throw the ball at all. So Stanford would love for that to happen again, where they could just ride. I think Cam Scarlett had nine straight rushing attempts in that fourth quarter. So there's something useful there for Stanford to just jam it down Washington's throat and 
and get out with a win that way, where these two teams match up very similarly. Uh, defensive focus, I'd say. Uh, focus, not necessarily that Stanford has that defense this year, but they're, that's how they want to win games. But Stanford's going to have to keep it out of the air because, as you were mentioning, Washington's pass defense is been its strength this year, whereas its run defense has not, which is, I think, why it's so important that we talked about that Austin Jones, Nathaniel Pete running back thing with that's where Stanford's going to get yards in this game. They have, Washington has a leaky run defense. They allowed over five yards per carry to Utah. Utah looked like a better team for much of that first half. Of course, in the second half, Washington shut Utah down, which is really impressive. Each of their first three games, Washington has been able to hold an opponent scoreless for an entire half, which is not an easy thing to do in college football. So clearly something is going right with that defense. It has a lot to do with Zion Sipulua Fatui. Very, very good uh, guy along the line. I think he has like three, something ridiculous number of sacks for how early in the season it is. I think he's averaging more than two a game. So Stanford's going to have to face a really strong front seven. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be made harder by the fact that they were traveling all day today. They're going to have to be adjusting. So Seattle practicing there, whatever that looks like, it's going to be a tough game and it's going to be a hard one to pull out and upset. Yeah, Tupelo Fatui has seven sacks for three games. And and Washington has 10 sacks for three games. Only three picks, but it feels like more than that when you got a pass defense like that. This is certainly the best defense that Stanford has faced by far. Um, and so you're exactly right. These two teams want to play similarly. And I think that that's going to result in a fairly low-scoring game. I think it's result in a fairly close game. And, you know, I could see a game where, where Stanford feels like they're getting blown out but is kind of within a possession throughout. Um, because if you're able to play some bend, don't break defense, and if you're able to avoid turnovers, which Stanford has done all season, only one turnover in 2020, um, then you're going to be able to hang with Washington. They thrive off taking advantage of your mistakes. So if you don't give them those mistakes, I think this could be a game. Um, and Dylan Morris, a quarterback, is you know he's very competent for Washington, but he kind of looks like a mistake-prone Jake Browning so far that he's not going to add a whole lot to your team. He's not going to elevate your offense. And, you know, he did have those three interceptions against Utah, which were one of the only reasons why Utah um, was was able to amass a 21-0 lead in the first place. So I think, you know, we see Washington appear in the college football playoff rankings for the first time this week. People are starting to talk about them as the Pac-12 favorite. I think, understandably, if you're going to do a Pac-12 power rankings, they have to be at the top right now. But I do think that this matchup is probably closer than people realize simply because of the way these two teams play and the way that Stanford's desire to rely on the run game will kind of play against Washington's um, strength in the secondary. And on the flip side, the fact that Washington really wants to turn you over and turn that into points, Utah had four turnovers, and that's really the only reason why Washington was able to come back in that game. You know, a team that doesn't turn the ball over like Stanford may just be able um, to limit this Washington offense that relies on short fields. And that's what Stanford has to hope, that it's able to get out and match up well. And I think they had that against Cal, where they're able to, you know, just win special teams. And that's all it took, set up the offense for the short field. They got a nice play by Sling Turner Muhammad. They had the muff punt. They had the block. All of those things, that's what allowed Stanford to win big game. They're going to have to come up with similar plays to get an upset, because it's not going to be easy. The path to a win is going to have to run through Austin Jones, Nathaniel Pete, and it needs to be much improved play on the defense where, again, they look like they got gassed by Cal at specific times. 
were able to come up with some stops and others. Very inconsistent, inconsistent there. Also going to have to match up with uh, Cade Otten from Washington, who's looked very good through these first three games. So oh, a tough, tough task for Stanford. Uh, I, I'm just wondering where they're able to get that momentum, that push, because originally when I was coming into this year, I was thinking, you know what, Stanford's going to be on such a streak. They're going to have a couple wins to put together. It doesn't seem like they have the momentum right now. Even though they had that big game win, it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to come into this game with a lot of confidence. But I think they're going to need to play with some confidence like that in order to get this upset. It's not going to be an easy one. Washington is surely not going to give it away like Cal did. Well, the only thing that makes me feel better is it seems like Stanford has had Washington's number in recent years, even as Washington has been the superior program. Um, Both 2017 and 2019, Stanford is able to upset the Huskies in Stanford Stadium. Both of those games, Washington was ranked in 2017. Um, They were a top 10 team contending for the college football playoff. And they come into Stanford Stadium on a sleepy weeknight game and and lose any shot at, at a playoff berth. And so clearly the way that Stanford plays frustrates Washington and the way that, that they want you to play. They want you to fall behind thanks to turnovers and have to throw to catch up so that they can just generate more turnovers and shut you down with that secondary. Um, and so I think this will be a chance for Stanford to prove um, that it can play Stanford's intellectual brutality style of football. And you're looking for where a spark could come. I mean, how about more special teams? You know Washington's going to be practicing all week that uh, field goal blocking unit. They do not want to uh, suffer the same fate as Cal. Um, But Stanford has a lot of ability to change the game on special teams. And that's the kind of area, you know, besides turnovers, where Stanford could really flip its talent disadvantage um, or its apparent talent disadvantage in this matchup and make it more of a game than than most people want to think. Absolutely. If I'm pointing to any group right now, it's probably Pete Alomar's best special teams coach in the nation. You heard it here first from King Jemison. Now you're hearing it from me. Really, really cool stuff that Stanford was able to do. That's all the time we got this week on Cardinal Dash. Thank you so much for joining us. Follow us on all our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Catch our uh, crossover show later this week. King Jemison, I'm Daniel Martinez-Krams. Thank you so much for joining us.